0: Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read the text, and we'll just get into it. Acts chapter 3, I'll be reading, preaching from the English Standard Version today. This is God's Word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the, or the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, task alms of those entering the temple. Alms are offerings. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them this is the word of the lord let's pray nice let's pray father we come to your word and lord we want to be instructed by your word we want we want to have life give us life according to your word thank you God, that your word is perfect, there, that there's, uh, there's no falsehood in it, that everything it teaches is true, that it makes us wise unto salvation, that is a light for our feet and a guide for our path. Your word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, it's sweeter than than honey and so God I just ask that we would taste the sweetness of your word and in so that we would actually be in the presence of God thank you that your word is breathed out by the spirit that we don't just have the thoughts of men here and so I just ask that your word would come in power by the Holy Spirit God I ask that you would inspire faith in us cause our faith to rise cause our faith to be strengthened cause us to believe you at your word lead us in all truth your word is truth. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, so we come to Acts chapter three and we start to see some miraculous stuff happening. We already saw at Pentecost, the spirit is poured out and people start speaking in tongues, but here we're starting to see even some more miracles. And I want us, as we're going into Acts chapter three, to first back up a little bit to get some perspective of what the book of Acts is all about. So Luke actually was very helpful, the author of Acts, in giving us an intro into the book to frame it for us. And he says this in Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, referring to the gospel of Luke, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So if Luke is all that Jesus began to do, then implicitly, logically flowing, Acts is the story of what Jesus continued to do once he ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. So this is, this is the story of what Jesus is continuing to do. Now let me remind us of the situation of the church. The situation of the church. The church was like all afraid and like timid and Jesus, they saw Jesus ascend into heaven, but they were desirous of power. They needed power from on high. And so the Lord told them, hey, wait until you receive power. He says that power is going to come upon you and then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. So they wait and pray and then Pentecost comes and the spirit is poured out and this church is now the spirit-empowered church showing signs and wonders doing miraculous things. So the spirit is a spirit-empowered church and we saw last week, we saw some of those beautiful marks of the devotion that the church had, right? That the church was devoted to fellowship and to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and that daily people were being added among them. And we saw the glimpse of that and we're like, oh, don't you desire that? To, to be a part of a community that holds all those things together, of being together and bearing one another's burdens, of praying with one another, of hearing what the apostles' teaching says, and of sharing our goods and eating meals together and keeping Christ and his death and his resurrection central. Like, don't you desire that? And Britt did such a beautiful job of of showing us even some of our longings, actually our longings are meant to be fulfilled in that, in God's church. So we have the spirit-empowered church, and the church is doing great insularly. Like, within itself, the church is just beautiful and thriving. But today, today, Acts chapter 3, we take a turn. We take a turn. And for the first time, really, the church faces the world as it is. Some miraculous stuff is happening, and the church faces the world as it is. And I want, I want as we start out, to recognize the church See some miraculous things happening, but it is in the context of regular rhythms. It's in the context of regular rhythms. Acts chapter three, verse one and two say, now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate. To ask alms of those entering the temple. So Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer, at the ninth hour. This is three in the afternoon. The author, Luke, he introduces us to a man who is lame from birth, who is laid daily at the gate of the temple. Now, as I, as I was prepping this week, as I was prepping this week, at a certain point, me and Britt were checking in. He's like, hey, how's, how's, uh, how's prep going for teaching? And honestly, I don't know if you guys have felt these things, but uh, but it just felt like everything, everything I was coming up with just felt stupid, right? It's just like, oh, I don't know. Like, there's nothing, I don't have anything profound. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing too good. Maybe you remember writing a paper and just feeling like that. And at that point, Britt looked at me and was like, all right, bro, bro, I'm gonna give you a nug for this text, okay? Bro, look at this. So he said, he helped me see, he helped me see that it's in this text that we're talking about that Luke is subtly showing us that there's this regular rhythm thing happening. That it's, it's in the regular rhythms of life that the Holy Spirit comes and does some miraculous thing. That's not, it's not just apart from, it's not just these highs that like, whoa, where did that come from? But it's in the regular rhythms of life. And it's in the rhythms that the Spirit tends to move. It's the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Uh, it's three in the afternoon when a miracle takes place. This is like the, this is a known thing that Jews go and offer prayer at the ninth hour at the temple. It's something they do regularly. And it's there that a miracle takes place in the midst of a daily occurrence. Luke also tells us in Acts chapter 10, interestingly, uh, if you see some of these connections, that Cornelius, a devout man who gives alms regularly, that it was at the ninth hour he was praying that he just got the trippiest vision ever. Like just in his daily prayer, all of a sudden he gets a vision, a miraculous vision. So, it's here that in the church, being the church, uh, that the miraculous comes. And I want us to, t- to see in Peter and John that their sustenance, the way they daily get through life, is through communion with God. Daily Day in, day out, communing with God. And so let me encourage you, brother and sister, like to, to sit down in the morning, find a time I would recommend the morning. Maybe that's just my own disposition. Grab a cup of coffee so you can survive and you're alive. But get alone with God and consume his word. And pour out your heart before him. It's, it's, I believe, within these regular rhythms, if we want to see the kind of miracles we're, they're seeing in the book of Acts, and we want to treasure Jesus the way they're treasuring him, I think we'd be wise to start with regular rhythms of being with God. And if you want to see some lame people get up and start walking, maybe you start coming to Wednesday morning prayer. I don't know. It seems, seems to be a connection. Um, but it's in the daily rhythm. It's in this daily rhythm that Peter and John face a jarring juxtaposition. It's in this daily rhythm that they see this crazy juxtaposition. Second half of verse two says, they laid him daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now we know from We know from the ancient Jewish historian Josephus that this was most likely uh, a gate made of brass and gold and silver. That it's, it's like 75 feet high and has huge double doors. It has these double doors towering toward the sky wrapped in precious metal. And a man crippled from birth begging on the ground. Now, not only are Peter and John face to face with a crippled man, but here, here, the church is confronted with the world as she is. The crazy juxtaposition of these towering doors towards the sky wrapped in precious metals and a man just laying on the ground who he wasn't even able to put himself there. Someone had to lay Him there. The British uh, Welsh, sorry, there's a difference between the two. The Welsh pastor Martin Lloyd Jones describes the reality of the situation. He says this here is the church in action, the church facing the world. There they are, the first Christians. They've had this tremendous experience. The Holy Spirit has come. Nice. Upon them, they are filled with the spirit and they are rejoicing and praying and praising God with singleness of heart. But now they face the world as it is. And this is the business of the church. That is why she is here, to help the world. The Lord came from heaven to help men and women. So they're face to face with this crippled man. The church is face to face with the world. And the question is, what's she going to do? What are we going to do as we face a world where all is not right? Where you have these crazy juxtapositions of towering precious metal doors and a crippled man on the ground. Where we have these juxtapositions where we know not all is as it should be. What will she do? Well, in this, in this, we see this motif that Luke just shortly, shortly inserts, uh, shortly weaves through the text. And it has to do with seeing. And it's something that I think if we sit in the text for a second, we've all, we realize we've all experienced exactly what he's doing here. Text says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The lame beggar sees them. Entering the temple and he asks for something. Then then Peter does, he does something that we often fail to do. Peter directed his gaze at him. And he says, look at us. Hey, hey, look, look at me. And the man fixes his attention on Peter and John. See, Peter, Peter didn't turn away. Peter didn't see and then avert his gaze. He didn't pull out his phone to distract himself while walking on the street. He believed that he had something to give this man. He didn't turn away and the beggar sees them and then Peter intently gazes at him and he sees him and he says, look at us. And the man who lays daily at the towering double doors lifts up up his eyes and he's probably just expecting to receive a couple coins. But Peter said to him, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. oh my gosh, if this happened here, you guys would be losing your mind. If the guy's crippled from birth for 40 years, has never walked, and he gets healed in that moment, he gets healed in that moment, thrust upon his feet, and the guy just starts doing like old classic Pentecostal service of like doing laps around the place. He's just running and leaping and praising God, and we're like, What's going on? Like, what just happened right here? A miracle, a miracle healing his ankles being strong in a moment by the power of Jesus. Like, this is insane. And this is, this is true scripture. This is a true story. This really happened. Don't let our distance, don't let our distance in time from this particular story make you lose your awe and wonder of what is happening here. It is phenomenal it's phenomenal as we're reading the book of acts we need we need to we need to do something we need to do something and that is we need to ask ourselves at different points in time okay why do we have this story right here why do we have this story and what are we to glean from it those are those are good thoughtful readings and questions of the book of acts um, so let, let me try to get at it this way. Uh, I have like, I personally have kind of a melancholy bent. Um, some of my friends describe me as Eeyore-ish sometimes. Um, it's just something about me. So, uh, Anyways, uh, one thing that I found super helpful, incredibly helpful, is to read the biographies of Christian men and women who have gone before me and to see how God has moved through them. There's something I find so incredibly encouraging seeing God's faithfulness to other men and women throughout history. And so, and so I see in Charles Spurgeon, a man, a man who God used mightily, who was downcast and suffering throughout much of his life. And I see in George Mueller, a man just full of faith who really believed that God could meet his every need and God miraculously show up time and time and time again. And I see in John Knox, like unwavering spirit empowered courage to live by God's word. And so I read these stories and it encourages my heart and it helps me get through hard days. And for anyone in here who is struggling or needs, is in need of courage, I would, like, I would encourage you to read the biographies of men and women who have gone before us and see God's faithfulness to them. Like, do that, and all these are great, but, but listen to this, in the book of Acts, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have God's spirit-breathed account of the church. Like, surely here we find encouragement. Surely Here, we're built up and taught the truest church history. The book of Acts was given to us. The book of Acts was given to us so that we might be encouraged and we might be built up. And so as we're reading through the book of Acts, we need to periodically ask ourselves, why do we have this story? We need to let the book of Acts bear its entire weight on our souls. So let us read through Acts thoughtfully and ask good questions of the text. So, Okay, a story about a a man who was lame from birth being healed. Why do we have, why do we have this story? Why do we have this story? Well, there's a couple of reasons rooted in the text. I believe we have this story before us. And the first is this, to show Jesus is still working through his church. To show us that Jesus is still working personally through his church. Remember, Acts open, Acts open with Luke writing that in his first volume, he recorded all that Jesus began to do. Thus implying that Acts is a story of what, just, of what Jesus continues to do uh, through his spirit empowered church. And here's some proof for us. Here's some proof that, hey, Jesus, he hasn't left us as orphans. Just like he promised he wasn't going to leave us as orphans. He's still working. He is still the living head of his church he is alive and working through his church and there's even in this story post jesus ascending to the right hand of the father there is there is in this miracle actually a messianic fulfillment like this is this is crazy that jesus ascended to the right hand of the father he's no longer personally in his body walking on earth and yet prophetic fulfillments of who he is are still being made so isaiah 35 says this in the context in the context of what will happen when messiah comes of what the world will be like once the new age is inaugurated he says this then when messiah has come then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy it is jesus working through his church Still, Jesus ascended at the right hand of the Father is still at work through his spirit-empowered church. We're not alone. Like, reality really is led by Jesus. He's the head of our church. Like, he really is. That's not just lip service. He's alive. The salvations that have happened have been through his spirit, like, through the Father saving That, it's all to Jesus. The healings that have happened are through Jesus. He's still working through our church. And here, as the church faces the world, we see Jesus says, yeah, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. I didn't peace out. Like, I'll be back one day, but I'm not done working yet. We have this story to show Jesus is still working through his church. And secondly, I believe we have this story To inspire our faith and show us our heritage. To inspire our faith and show us our heritage. And our heritage is in what Peter had to give the man. He says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This is our heritage as a church. This is our history. This is like, this is our roots, okay? It's not not in any other church tradition. We go all the way back to the first century. We go back further than that even. Our heritage is in Peter saying in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's meant to inspire our faith. Now, I wanna be very honest. I was tempted at this point in the message to basically go this direction with it. To say, God still heals today, but. God still heals today, but let's talk about the greater healing of salvation. And I'm not sure if you have a similar bent towards me of some of the miraculous things come up. And, it's, okay, yeah, but let's, let's get back to like, let's get back to just talk, only talking about the cross. Let's get back to only this. Let's get back to only that and I, I don't know what it is on my part maybe 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 it's a lack of faith in my own heart maybe maybe it's it's my desire that no one misses the giver for the gift maybe maybe it's that thing going on in me but as i wrestled with this text i don't believe we have this true story of what happened in God's church so that we can say, God can heal, but. I don't, I don't think that's why we have this story. I believe we have this story so that the church can more earnestly desire, to use biblical language, to more earnestly desire to see the power of God and so that our faith rises to ask God for more healings and so that we would treasure Jesus more i think that's why we have this text not to have the impulse of god can heal but but to hold these two things together god can heal and let's talk about jesus to not neglect one for the sake of the other so let's talk briefly about healing let's talk about briefly let's talk briefly about healing I think the most helpful way perhaps to do this would be to like address three of the most common questions I think we have about healing. The first is this, does God still heal today? The answer to which is yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We have many stories of God healing throughout history. Many of us know people personally who have been healed, but Far more importantly than any of that, we're given accounts of healing in the spirit-empowered church. We're commanded in scripture and directed on how to pray for healing. We're instructed that the spirit gives gifts of healing. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing in the scripture that would tell us that God isn't in the business of healing people anymore. Like there's nothing in this book to suggest that. There is nothing in this book to suggest that. I would love to talk after if we have doubts or different things, but I don't think you walk away from reading this cover to cover and say, you know what, I don't think God heals anymore. I don't think we walk away with that thought. I don't believe there's anything in the scripture to lead us to believe God no longer heals today. So if God still heals today, how then should we pray for healing? How then should we pray for healing? Because this is like a crazy story, right? This is crazy. Peter's just like, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's crazy. That's like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Like, right now we have a bus outside for you guys. We're all gonna hop on the bus and go do this, right? Um, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do that. (laughs) I, I did one time attend a bait and switch kind of thing like that, but that's so beside the point. How then should we pray for healing? How then should we pray for healing? Well, I think... I think the first thing we should say is there's not just one way. There's not just one way we should pray for healing. That's to say there is no formula. There is no formula. Throughout, throughout the New Testament, we have, we have different instructions and different instances that, in, that, uh, that teach us how we might pray for the sick. So in one instance, in James chapter 5, we see the church instructed to have the elders pray for the sick. James chapter 5 reads this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here in this instance in James chapter five, we see a few things. We see first that the elders should be called. So the elders of our church, if you're sick, like the elders of our church will pray for you and anoint you with oil. Matt and Britt and Todd and Tyler are our elders and they, they will do that for you in obedience to the Bible and believing that God can and is able to heal. So the elders should be called. Secondly, there's a need for faith. There is a need for faith, which is to say a need of a belief that God can actually heal. There's a need for, for faith on our behalf of not just doubting like God couldn't do this. It's not possible for him. No, it's, it's of saying, yeah, I believe God is able to do this. Thirdly, there's a possibility a possibility, not a certainty, but there's an if, a possibility of needing to confess known sin. That there is in the scripture some kind of connection at times between unconfessed sin and sickness. And so it's not meant to direct us in a way, if you are sick, you must have sinned. No, by no means is that, is that a correct correlation. But if we are sick, we, sh- we would be wise to examine our own hearts. man, is there any unconfessed sin I know of in my life? I should confess that. And there is often a connection between healing and confessing sin. So it is not an if you are sick, then you have sin unconfessed in your life, but there is a possibility. So let's confess all of our known sin. Let's confess all of our known sin. Fourthly, there is an instruction to use oil in the name of the Lord. And so we're obedient to that. We have oil on both sides. We anoint people with it, first century oil had healing, uh, was thought to have healing properties, uh, and you know what, we're just biblical, and so we're like, okay, we're going to do that, we're going to be obedient to the Bible, and anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is one instance, in another, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, we're told that uh, to another, in going through a list of spiritual gifts, to another, faith by the same spirit, a gift of faith is given to believe God for doing something, uh, which is a supernatural gift, to another gifts of healing by one spirit. That it's not only the elders, but also in the body, the spirit at times gives gifts of healing to people. And in Acts, in Acts, we get like the craziest litany of ways that God heals people. Uh, in Acts chapter five, we see Peter's shadow apparently heals people. That people are being set outside so that Peter's shadow can fall on them and that they can be healed. In Acts chapter 19, it says Paul's handkerchief is getting passed around to touch people and heal people. Like, have, have any of you guys ever noticed, like, Britt wears a bandana back here sometimes, right? So I always thought it was for sweat, you know, to wipe off his forehead. But I have a hunch that maybe there's something else going on there. Um, and then in Acts 20, Acts 20, we have the craziest one. We have the, absolutely. Um, so Paul's preaching. Paul's preaching. And uh, the people in the early church dealt with something that we don't have to deal with anymore, which is people preaching for way too long, right? So Paul is preaching, and he's just going long. He's going long. And so there's a guy, there's a guy sitting up in a window named Eutychus, and Paul's preaching so long that Eutychus falls asleep, falls out of the window, hits the floor, and dies. He hits the floor and dies, one of the reasons why I will never do camp with a two-story building. Um, but Paul goes outside and Paul just stretches himself out on the dead guy and then the dead guy gets, comes back to life. But here's the best thing. Then Paul, like, Paul goes back in and keeps preaching, still longer, like, oh. So we, we, see, we see in here a multiplicity of ways that God heals people in the Bible. We see all kinds of different things and it's in this multiplicity that we should assume, we should assume we should see all these different ways that God has and can heal people and so we should logically assume that there's not one surefire way to heal. There's not one surefire way to heal. We shouldn't extrapolate from each one of these instances a particular ministry, of a handkerchief healing ministry and of us stretching out on people ministry and of uh, let your shadow pass by on people ministry. We shouldn't extrapolate that these are the surefire ways, but rather we should see it and assume, wow, God can heal in a multiplicity of ways. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to find one surefire way to heal, but rather it should be done, rather prayer should be done in a way that scripture describes as generally as being As praying in the name of Jesus. We see that right in the text. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We should pray for healing, not in one surefire way that will guarantee healing, but instead in the name of Jesus. To pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just a recitation of those words. It's not in the name of Jesus added on the end that then gives your prayer power that would be like a spell or that would be like witchcraft that's not the point adding those words doesn't give your prayer power to pray in the name of jesus is to pray in accord, to pray along the lines to pray in ways that are consonant with who jesus is and what his heart and will are the ways he is revealed to be in the scriptures That's what it is to pray in the name of Jesus. To pray in the name of Jesus is to come to the Father. It's to come to the Father as his child. Only on account of what Jesus did for you on the cross and in rising for you from the dead. It's it's come to him not, not because of what you've done, but in the name of somebody else. In the name of somebody else not not because of me but because of Jesus because of what he has done and so it's to come to God humbly it's to come to God humbly knowing there's nothing we have done to deserve our request but it's also to come to God boldly knowing that we are truly his children and he loves us right knowing, man, I am truly God's child. And so there are things that I will go and ask my parents to do and keep bugging them about boldly because they're my parents, because he's my dad, because I'm actually his child and I really believe it. So it's to come boldly before God and say, man, God, okay, I know I don't deserve this, but I know I also, like, I'm truly your son. So hear me right now because you're my dad and you, like, I believe you hear me right now. And it's to come persistently, it's to come... It's to keep asking in his name humbly because we don't, not in ourselves, but boldly because it's actually true of us. You are actually his son or daughter. So we should pray for healing with real belief that God can and will heal and to trust him with the results. And in that, in that sentence, in that sentence, there's a tension there's a tension in that sentence that God will heal and I trust you. I, I'm, I believe you really will right now. I really believe this is in accord with your will. I believe it would be a good gift and I believe you're gonna do it and I trust you to hold these two together. But I think talking about really believing that God will heal, it leads us, it leads us to the question, well, what do we do if he doesn't answer our prayers for healing? What do we do if God doesn't answer our prayers for healing? Because it's one th- it is one thing to just say, hey, have faith and keep praying and just ask him. And it's another when we have real faces attached to the healings we're asking God for, right? Right? when there's flesh and blood attached to it and there's real hurt, man, why hasn't God done this right now? Why hasn't he done it yet? What do we do when he doesn't answer our prayers for healing? I think, I think the first thing we have to say is we keep asking. We keep asking him. Jesus said in Luke 18 Therefore, you you ought to always pray and not lose heart. And then he told him a parable about a widow who would go to an unjust judge and over and over and over and over again demand justice. And finally, the guy just gave in. And the point is, hey, if that guy's unjust and he's eventually gonna give in because of her importunity, because she wasn't gonna stop knocking and seeking and asking, how much more is your great, gracious, heavenly father going to answer you as you continually Come to him. We we're, we have to keep asking him. And we have to trust that he is always, always gracious and good and wise. And man, that doesn't mean that that's not through heartache and tears, but to say, I don't see it right now, but I still trust you. I... I think, I think we pray along the lines. I think we get a paradigm and we are, we're to pray along the lines of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter three. Do you guys remember that story where these three guys are about to be tossed into a fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar unless they turn away from worshiping Yahweh? You remember this, this story? It reads this way. The three of them answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We, we don't need to even talk to you anymore. If this be so, if you throw us into the fire, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Like there's that piece of faith, like man, our God can deliver us. He's able to do that. And then they even go a step further, a step further that like challenges my own, my own heart. And like, man, if it wasn't for the Bible, I don't know if I'd, ever speak this way he said he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand he's able to and he and he's going to do it we believe he is going to do it right now and it's like man that makes me nervous but if not but if not i know he's going to but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your god's or worship the golden image that you have set up. It is saying, God, you are able to heal, and I believe you will heal. I don't doubt you right now, but if not, I will still worship you. I will still get up tomorrow morning and bow down at your feet, and I will still tell everyone of your goodness to me, and I will still Worship you as God and I will never turn away from you. I know you can, and I believe you will, and even if not, I will still worship you. But like how can we realistically pray in this like apparent paradox of I believe you will, but if not, how can we actually really truly believe this? I think we can actually live in this paradox and pray truthfully in this paradox. Because we have Jesus. Because we already have our treasure. You see, signs and wonders are great. Signs and wonders are great. They inspire awe and amazement. And they are, they are used to draw people to God who then hear his word and believe in him. But, but signs and wonders, they are signs. Signs. They are signs, meaning it's not the end in itself. Let us never stop thinking physical healing in this life is good. It would be a good thing for God to give us physical healing to our bodies from our perspective. That would be a good thing, but it's not ultimate. It was always meant to point to Jesus. Okay, we need to see what Peter does with this. See what Peter does with this healing. He keeps going, the man is lame man is just clinging to Peter's leg, just like, I love you, thank you so much. And then we see this. And Peter, when he saw it, which is the crowd gathering around and like, what took place here? He addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter points the crowd to Jesus. Physical healing is good and should be asked for, but let us keep going on the road of which healing is a sign. Let us keep going down that road. Peter says, this is a sign of the power of Jesus. Therefore, repent of your sins. He keeps going in verse 19. He says, therefore... You got it? There, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And, and I want us even to see the end in this, right? Because if some of us have a tendency to like neglect healing, and well, we should just talk about forgiveness of sins and people just need to repent no, let's hold both of these together, but let us also see the end of both of them. Because even in getting to talk about repentance, he says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that, that the final end, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that you would know God, that he would be your treasure, that you would see his more beautiful than anyone in this entire universe that he is the creator God who died for us, who lives a God, who lives again. Therefore, repent, turn away from your sins, but not just so that you could be kind of washed a little bit, so that you could come before a living God, that God could make his dwelling with you. That is the final end. Healing was only meant to point to Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is meant to be a way in which we can finally dwell with our holy God. You see, we were all met by God as beggars who couldn't just get up and walk. But in his mercy, according to his grace, he put us down somewhere where we heard the gospel. And he said, look at me. Look at me. And we looked at Christ upon the cross and we simply trusted in his generosity. And he said to us, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you rise up and walk. And he, just, he didn't just say that to us, but he grabbed us by the hand and he thrusted us to our feet. And immediately our, ankl- our ankles were made strong. And immediately he gave us a new heart. That is all of our story. So let us be filled, all of us, with awe and wonder and amazement at the God who heals, at the God who reaches down to us, at the God who doesn't only give us silver and gold, at the God whose name is Jesus. And may we, the church, Be a church full of faith, praying for the sick, seeing God move in our midst. May we be a church that does not doubt he is able to heal. And may we say we believe you will, but even if not, we will praise you. So let us pursue healing with faith and let us tell the world about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just ask for more faith, God, for our church to step out and pray for one another to believe that you are able God, to see you move in our midst. So Lord, I I ask that there would be stories of your power and wonder and might to heal. And I ask that we we would worship Jesus because he is able to do that, because he is our treasure, because there's no God like you. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, whose heart ache at the thought of asking you again, would the truth that you are a perfect heavenly father and you know what we need and you are faithful to give us what we need, would that, would that truth bear its weight on our hearts? We believe that you withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. We would, would we step out in faith, God, Increase our faith in you, pour out your spirit, and would it all be for the end of enjoying life in your presence? We look forward to the day when you're going to come back and you're going to fully make everything right. Until then, we want to see you heal and we want to treasure you above everything else. We set our hope on that day. And we trust you at your word. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.